Okay, good morning, everyone. Sorry for the delay. Help yourselves to some uh, coffee if you like. Our learning uh, in the Amuna class, as it always is, Le'ilinishma Shendel Gittel Bas Chaim Shaul. But additionally, our learning should be a Rufu for all those who are ill, mm-hmm. and in particular, our dear friend, Rabbarach Tzvi Ben Rivka Basia. Should have a complete and speedy and painless Rufu Amen. Amen. We're going to have a, a special talent tonight at Shul at 8.30, uh, following the women's class, a special midrashah class taking place at 8 o'clock at the Mizrahis at about 8.35. We'll begin with the uh, Tehillim here at Shul uh, for him and for Ochola Yisrael. Okay, we uh, completed, I hadn't realized until a couple minutes ago, that's why I was late making these copies, we completed the uh, Nesiva Shalom's discussion of Emuna in his... Uh, in his Yisodei HaTorah section. So I want to learn with you a piece from this week's parsha, from Parsha's Balak, which I hope will also be very inspiring and touch on some of the principles of Amuna that we've been working on. As we've shared so many times, the goal of our Amuna Shir is, um, is simply to be mindful and cognizant. It's a support group. It's an exercise group. Some of you go to work out once or many times a week. And you are motivated by being with other people working out. And that's working out the body. And this is working out the soul. This is about being mindful of Emuna. We don't necessarily have breakthrough moments um, where we uh, learn things that we didn't know. But it's a matter of remembering and applying the things that we already know. So we begin with Matovu Alachi Yaakov Mishkan Osechi Yisrael. In the third attempt of Bilam to curse the Jewish people that is transformed from a curse into a blessing... Bilam says those iconic words which really have begun the sitter. We say it as part of our davening, the great praise of the Jewish people. Matovo o alacha Yaakov, Mishkin osecha Yisrael. How great, how wonderful, how beautiful, how goodly are your tents, Yaakov, and your dwelling places, Yisrael. Yesterday in the Parsha classes, Parsha class, we offered a few interpretations of what's the difference between an Ohel and a Mishkan, the interpretation of, of Rashi, the Sforno, we saw Rav Kook, and now we'll see the Nesiva Shalom on this uh, very same Pasuk. Everyone see where we are? Page Kuf Mem Aleph. If there are any more copies going around, please uh, feel free to pass them if there are any extras. The Gemara Sanhedrin Issa, the Gemara Sanhedrin Daf Kofay says, Amr Biochanan, Mi Birchasa Shalosa Rasha Atalamad Mahaya Belibo. From the uh, blessing of that wicked person, Bilam, who from the simple text doesn't seem so wicked, but we know we have a tradition what a villain he was, but from the blessing that resulted. From him, one can learn what was in his heart. His goal was to eradicate the holy sites, what is the life source of the Jewish people, namely the study hall and the shul. Bilam stood up and he wanted to say, May your study halls, may your Bate Medrash and your Bate Knesios be eradicated. May they be destroyed. May they be eliminated. And when he opened his mouth to do it, instead what came out? A great, a great bracha. Bilam understood that the life source of the Jewish people are our gathering places. Where do we derive strength? Where do we derive the will? Where do we derive the faith to endure? It's when we get together in Shul, when we pour out our hearts in tefillah, when we gather to be able to learn Torah together. This is the very life source of, of the Jewish people. We just returned from our uh, trip to Poland, and uh, so many of the shuls were destroyed. Those that remain are anomalies. But the Nazis uh, understood that to, to erase the Jewish people, you have to erase their life source which is the shul, which is the study hall. We went to a few shuls, and sadly, in communities in, in Tekochen and uh, in Tarnow, where there are no Jews. 
there's just an abandoned empty shul we tried to bring back to life. You went to Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, where Meir Shapiro began the, uh, the Daf Yomi, and tried to bring that by learning the Daf in that very place, to bring that base Medrash back to life. But the strength of the Jewish people is not when they're dispersed or isolated or living alone. It's when we have a gathering place to pour out our hearts in prayer and to grow in, in tefillah. Bilam understood that, and that's why that was, he understood the soft spot, the vulnerable place of the Jewish people. He sought to curse us there, and that's where God reversed his curse into a blessing that not only was it not destroyed, but how praiseworthy. All of the curses that were reversed into blessings ended up resulting in curses with the exception of the shuls and the study hall. That even though temporarily God reversed the curses to blessings, tragically that didn't last, with the exception of the reversal regarding our shuls and our study halls. Says the Slanam Rebbe, how do we understand this? Where is the expression of love from God that the curses became blessings if ultimately the blessings became curses again? Number one. Number two, What is so unusual, what is so important about the strength and the health of our shuls and our yeshivas that God specifically chose whatever unworthiness we had that we were unable to sustain the rest of the brachos that God granted us those brachos in perpetuity. What is so important, what is so specific about the two of them? Inyan bracha uklala. Says the Slana Marebbe, you have to understand what is a bracha and what is a klala. You know what a bracha is in life? A bracha is good health. And a bracha is nachas from children. And a bracha is parnasa. And a bracha is uh, all these wonderful things. But you know what the greatest bracha is? Dvekas bashem izbarach. When you are connected with, when you cling to, when you feel the presence, when you feel the love and the affection and the guiding hand of the Almighty on your shoulder... That's the greatest bracha. You know why? Because that enables you and empowers you that wherever else and whatever else is going on in life, you have the strength to be able to endure. Life, for, there's no one for whom life is a picnic. Everyone is battling something. For some, we know it's visible. We gather to say Tehillim for them. For many, in fact, for most, it's invisible. We will never know those battles. Everyone is battling something. But the biggest bracha is having the, having the weapons for the battle. And the greatest weapon we have is Dvekas Bashem Yisbarach, which enables and encourages and empowers us to be able to endure and to find the strength through whatever it is that we're faking, facing. In a moment that a Jew is clung, clings to the Almighty, that in itself is the bracha. Now the Salam Rebbe here may mean, and some believe, that the more dveikas you have, the greater bracha you have. Meaning, the more you are aware of God's presence in your life, the more you cling to your Father, the more you call out to Him, the more He protects you, the more blessing He bestows upon you, literally. That if you have more amuna and bitachon, the more amuna and bitachon you have, the less vulnerable and exposed you are to hardship and suffering and tragedy. But we know that's not true. We just spent a week in Treblinka and Majdanek and Auschwitz and Birkenau. We visited and said Tehillim and Kelmala and Kaddish at mass graves in Tekochen and outside Tarnau. 
at a grave of 800 children whose inscription on the tombstone is, is mind-boggling. Survivors, a year after the war, found this mass grave where 800 children, and the inscription in Yiddish says, I'm going to blow the Yiddish, my Yiddish is not good enough, but something like, um, it said, Bashtin Kepis. Here are 800 Galapta Kepis, or something like, 800 Bashtin heads of children rest in this mass grave. They didn't have perfect Emun Apshuta, these children, they did Chatai, they did sins. We didn't have Tzadikim, we stood at the crematorium in, in Birkenau and we listened to the testimony of Hasid Sherebis who led the recitation of Shema for all those who were cramped into the gas chamber as they went to their final. They didn't have Dveikos Bashem Yisbarach. The Animamin, we sat in Treblinka and we sang the tune of the Animamin that was composed on the train to Treblinka. And somehow by somebody jumping off the train and getting the notes to the Majlis Rebbe in New York, that tune has lasted for us. They sang Animamin on a train to Treblinka. They didn't have Amuna. So it doesn't mean that Dvekas and Amuna guarantees you life and health and happiness and Nachas and Parnasa and Gesund. The best of people, the most righteous, the holiest people. Moshe Davins to Hashem. Over 500 times he says, let me in, let me realize my dream, let me enter the land. Moshe didn't have dveikas. Nobody had greater dveikas. And Hashem tells Moshe, sometimes the answer is no. So the, the clinging to Hashem is, so first of all, we hope to reverse his decree and get a yes. We never give up, we never forfeit, we never concede. The power of prayer is so enormous. The power of prayer is so strong. It can transform Hashem. I just mentioned earlier at the Sharon B'Tfilah Shir that one of the languages of Tfilah is Itur. It says that Yitzchak entreated Hashem on behalf of his wife, Rivka, when they wanted a child. The Gemara Sukkah says, why the Lashon Itur? Right? Sharon B'Tfilah, which has 13 synonyms for prayer, one of them is Itur. We have so many verbs for prayer. Pila, Tzaka, Zaka, Rina, Itur. What's Itur? And the Gemara Sukkah says, a pitchfork, just like a pitchfork flips over the tfua, the, the hay, so too our prayer can flip over, can reverse Hashem's will. Sometimes Hashem needs our attention, and He gets our attention in a very startling way. He takes a drastic measure and it gets everyone's attention. And when He has our attention, and when we transform ourselves in a result, it flips over His decree. He says, I have your attention, good, you're new people, the person is worthy of a new decree and things will get better. So the power of prayer is to be able to achieve a different result. But at its core, the power of prayer is to achieve a dvekas, is to create a connection, to cling to the Almighty, to concede and forfeit and submit to our Father that He knows best, and to recognize that no matter what, we stick with Him, that He has our back, individually and collectively. And that that act of dvekas, that clinging to Hashem, gives us the strength to be able to endure. That is the ultimate bracha. The bracha is Dvekas Bashem. We are most vulnerable, we are most exposed, which again can be understood literally that hardship will visit us, or can be understood symbolically that we can't endure the hardship when we lack the dveikas in our lives. So Bilam understood, when are the Jewish people most vulnerable? When can I get them? When they have yeush. 
when they become hopeless and helpless, when they become disconnected to their Father in Heaven, when they don't believe that there's a reason and meaning and order and purpose to the universe, when they start to think that life is random and chance and people are a result of statistics, when they give up on God, that's when they're most vulnerable. That's when I can get them. Because only when we have hope can when we endure, only with faith can we survive. So Bilam tried to create a disconnect. He tried to sever that relationship from our leaning and relying on Hashem Yisbarach because he knew that if we're divided, if we're broken, if we have given up our faith, that's when we are the most vulnerable. That was his matara, that was his goal. Because when we're disconnected from the Almighty, when we've given up faith, when we are hopeless in a situation, that's when we're vulnerable to klala, that's when we're vulnerable to the greatest curse. Yechavah told the story on this trip of her grandfather who was in, uh, was in Auschwitz and uh, one day, for whatever reason, upset a Nazi officer in the camp who decided to take it out on him with his whip and beat him senseless. It resulted as being blind in one eye for the rest of his life. His face was covered in blood. He was bleeding from everywhere. He was broken. He somehow crawled back to his barrack and he shared the same barrack with the Chusterov. And he told the Chusterov that he was contemplating throwing himself on the electrocuted barbed wire. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't uh, endure. He was giving up. He can't imagine continuing. He thought he was going to die that night. And he said to the Chusterov, please say Vidui with me. Please say what is said at the end of a person's life. Recite the Vidui with me. And the Chusterov refused. And he said, if you put your faith in Hashem, and if you somehow can get through tonight, then I give you a bracha. And the bracha is that the Nazis will be long forgotten, but you will be here and remain. And you'll have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who you will see to be Torah-observant Jews. And he never told anyone that story until one day, he was deep into his 90s, and Yechav and I asked him, what do you, what do you uh, credit your longevity to? Why do you think you lived such a long life? And he said, I'll tell you this uh, story because I was in the barrack and I got this bracha from the Chusterov and it renewed my faith, my amuna, and it gave me belief that there was a reason, there was meaning, there was purpose to our suffering and that I had to find a way and a will to endure. And because of that bracha, I think I was zocha, he lived to almost 99 years old and in fact left a legacy of children and grandchildren and, uh, and great-grandchildren. He also told the story of a, of a Kol Nidre night, a Yom Kippur night, where the Chusterov took a, a number of people and found an empty barrack and late at night, the Chusterov, who was the only one who knew Kol Nidre entirely by heart, led the people there in the recitation of Kol Nidre in Auschwitz. Is there a greater expression of spiritual resistance, of defiance, of, of Amuna? Not to judge those who didn't and couldn't, we can't even imagine. But for those who participated, participated in that Kol Nidre night, to ask for Machila and Kapara and Slicha when you're going through what, what you went through, to fast when your whole life is, is defined by fasting, and to be able to cram into a barrack to listen to the Chusterov renew and give you hope and Amuna to recite Kol, Kol Nidre. So on this video that we did of him, Yechevet rewatched it in anticipation of our trip. He remembered these uh, 50 years later, more than 50 years later, he remembered the drush that the Chusterov gave in the barrack that night to introduce Kol Nidre. And when Yechevet shared this on the bus, there was somebody on our trip who said, you know, I went to the Shtibel in, in, in Brooklyn of the Chusterov and I heard him tell the story of that Kol Nidre night and of that saying Kol Nidre which kind of corroborated the story from another not that it needed to be needed to be corroborated in the hardest moment in the worst places in the darkest 
darkest places on earth, one can achieve dveikus. It's a very high level. We don't judge those who can't. But the ability to see Hashem and to renew faith and to cling and to, to try to make sense and to, to maintain hope is something we can do. And for those who, who stop, that was the Matarasha Bilam. If you can sever the Jewish people from their source, from God, from their father, if you make them believe their father doesn't care about them, they've, he's given up on them, and they give up hope, then that's the end. And this was the kavana of these two, uh, these two temptations. So the two ways that Bilam sought to get to the vulnerability of the Jewish people was through these two enticements. One was with the daughters of Moab and the other was Baal Peor and they went hand in hand. One was to throw beautiful, seductive, provocative women at the men. As we spoke about yesterday in the Parsha class, when our enemies understood they could not defeat us militarily, when they understood they could not defeat us spiritually, Bilam tries cursing us and it's reversed to a blessing. Where do they get us? What's our vulnerability? What Freud understood is the greatest vulnerability of all men in all time. They tried to seduce us. They tried to distract us. They threw the provocative Benos Moav and, uh, and the men were distracted. And when the, when the men were about to be uh, inappropriate with the women, the women said, just one thing, before we, can, uh, before we can be with you, and they took out the idol and they said, you have to worship the Baal Peor. And we know many great men, many brilliant men, many accomplished men, who in the moment of seduction, their judgment was so clouded, they destroyed their own lives by dealing infinitely more foolish things than to bow down to an idol. Okay, if that's what it takes, big deal. And they, in fact, worshipped the poor. And says the Slanam Rebbe, why did Bilam, why did Balak devise this dual plan after the military, after Amalek couldn't defeat us on the battlefield, and after Bilam couldn't defeat us in the spiritual field by trying to curse us? How did they understand these two things? Because this represented the Moach and the Lev. This was our vulnerability in our head and in our heart. Where do we express? Where do we cling to Hashem intellectually? When we study, when we learn, when we analyze, when we break through, and it's in our heart. It's in our heart. The tefillin were commanded to wear on the arm opposite the heart, on the head opposite the brain. Because tefillin are two satellite dishes that we wear every day in order to bring in the signal, the intellectual signal, the emotional signal, to connect to Hashem in the most, uh, in the most powerful way. The ritzua, the leather strap that's worn down the arm, is the uh, Rabbi Ari Kaplan writes, is like the umbilical cord, umbilical cord that connects us to our source of nourishment, which is the Ribbonu Shalom, who guides us. Rabbi Kaplan has in his book a whole chapter why women don't wear tefillin. I understand I'm speaking to a group of women. So he says that what, what's the cloth, the parchment that contains the parshios, the four parshios and tefillin, they're held. Anyone know what the box is called? The batim. The batim. A batim is a home. And the strap is the umbilical cord. And the woman, she has a bias within her, Rabbi Kaplan describes, based on beautiful Kabbalistic sources, that the makor, what we call the makor, 
the uterus of a woman from which she produces a home, she doesn't need to wear the home on the outside. She instinctively, intuitively, she understands. The ability to nourish, to nurture an umbilical cord, the ability to feed another with one's own body, she doesn't need to artificially wear ritzuos in order to generate that image of Hashem taking care of us. She's able to conceive of that in the inside. It's not apologetics. That is a beautiful explanation. So where men have to artificially wear the tefillin on the outside to generate those those, uh, symbolic uh, feelings, women don't have to. But what the tefillin do is they tap into the head and to the heart. There's uh, in the Chuvas Mimamakim, Rav Oshri was the Rav of the Kovna Ghetto, who answered questions without access to Svarim, and scribbled down the questions, the answers he gave, and hid them in tins, and they were recovered after the war, later published in six volumes, Shalos Chuvas Mimamakim, the response of From the Depths. One of the most moving questions I've read in those chuvos is of a, he created a yeshiva in the Kovna Ghetto. He imagined he had boys. Rather than say, oh, you know, our kids would say, school's out, school's out. That's the greatest thing that ever happened. These kids, school's out because the Nazis deprive you from going to school. You're shoved into a ghetto. They said, but we want to learn. We need to learn. So the Rav Ashri created a yeshiva, a cheder within the Kovna Ghetto for these boys. Tom Torah, I think it was called. And he had an, a, a really exceptional boy. He was an 11 or 12-year-old boy who learned extra and davened with fervor, and the boy comes to Rav Oshri one day and he asks the following question. He asks the following question. He says, Rebbe, I see the men in my life wearing tefillin. I've always wanted to wear tefillin. I've counted down with great excitement, great anticipation to the day I will be able to kiss the tefillin and unwrap them and affectionately put them on me and, and connect with them. He says, but Rebbe, I'm a realist, and I realize that the likelihood of my getting to my bar mitzvah is very small. The likelihood of my ever getting to the day that I will live to put on tefillin, it's, it's greatly unlikely. So Rabbi, I'm asking Yashayla, can I wear tefillin already now, even before my bar mitzvah, so that I can have the experience of davening in tefillin? Because it's unlikely I'll ever get to the point that I'll be able to daven in tefillin. And Rav Oshri goes through the question and the answer and explains, you know, if a person can maintain the proper mindfulness and uh, proper cleanliness, and, and of course concludes that this young man can wear the tefillin, I don't remember if there's a postscript about whether he lived to his bar mitzvah, but I don't believe he did. And uh, he talks about how extraordinary these were the type of questions that were asked in the Kovna Ghetto. Not, I want to step on tefillin and get rid of them, but I desperately want the experience of wearing, of wearing tefillin, even again in those dark places. So the tefillin are the, are the heart and the head. So Bilam understands where is the point of our greatest vulnerability? Where can I attack the Jewish people? How can I sever and disconnect their relationship with Hashem? Where can I get them? The head and the heart. To worship idolatry is a violation of the head. And promiscuity, licentiousness, immorality, that is a violation of the heart that is drawn. The heart is drawn to those things. So how can I create an environment where the, where the curses can fall on them? How can I create a platform for the curses to, to apply to them? If I can sever their connection to the head and the heart. If I cut off their connection, that's when I can go get them. So what's the answer? What's the antidote? If we are most vulnerable when we're disconnected, if we lack the strength and the courage to persevere and endure when we hear bad news, when we feel the pain of ourselves or of our dearest friends, how can we draw the strength? Where can we find the courage? What is the antidote? 
The answer is is dveikus. What's the antidote? The antidote to those who seek to sever our connection through our head and our heart is to strengthen the connection through the head and the heart. Torah purifies the brain. Because Torah allows us to purge those foreign influences and values and ideas that contaminate our brain, impurify, our, that create an impurity within our brain. And tefillah transforms our heart to be feeling and sense and to be turning towards towards Hashem. Torah has the capacity. The Mishnah in Pirkei Yavu says that Torah machsharto. One of the things that Torah does is machsharto. What is that word machsharto? So Reb Chaim Velazhin, as Ruach HaChaim says, it's commentary in Pirkei Yavu, what does the word machsharto? means heksher. You have a pot. It's absorbed a non-kosher taste. How do you kosher the pot? You put boiling water and it purges the non-kosher taste that had been absorbed within its walls. So the walls of our skull, the walls of our brain have absorbed non-kosher ideas and images and temptations and desires. And how do we purge it? Not through hot water. We purge it through the study of Torah. Torah machshato. Torah is the hechsher. It's the koshering agent for our brain. So if we want to clear our head and we want to restore our head to a place that can absorb Hashem's will, it's through the mechanism, through the medium of Torah. And how do we purify our heart? What's avodah shebelev? As he quotes the Gemara here in Tainus, Kamaim Rechazal, Eza avodah shebelev zutfila. Kamaim Rechazal, Shifchi kamaim libech nochach p'nei Hashem. As the Navi says, Shifchi kamaim libech. Eicha, pour my heart. Shifchi kamaim libech. Pour out my heart like water, but nochach p'nei Hashem, opposite Hashem. Sh'ahideizah, Yehudi shofech es libo kamaim betfila p'nei Hashem izbarach, hayre metarem izachech libo. Only when you pour out your heart, that's how you, when you pour out your, yourself in tefillah, that's how you purify your heart. When you, when you daven with every ounce of your being, when you submit and forfeit yourself to Hashem, when we turn to our Father in Heaven and realize that it's all within Him, that He has the power and the solution and the answer, that is the means through which we, which we purify our heart. So the head and the heart. And the zeo, matovu alach Yaakov, mishkan asecha Yisrael. Elu bate kinesias, bate midrashos. Bate kinesias, hei makam atfila, bate midrashos, hei makam hatorah. And this is the beauty of what Bilam Arasha praises within the Jewish people. Matovu ohalacha Yaakov. How magnificent, how praiseworthy, how beautiful, how goodly are your tents. What's a tent? Oel is Yaakov Avinu is an Ishtam Yoshev Oel. And the Oel is the base Medrash. How goodly are your places of learning where you're purifying your head, where you're purging the impure ideas from your head and instead replacing them with Torah. And how wonderful are your Mishkinosecha are your dwelling places, your your bate kinesios, where you're not talking, where you're not coming late, where you're not distracted, but where you're pouring your heart into tefillah. And the result of a pure head and a pure heart is the ability to cling, the ability to connect, the ability to recognize that everything Hashem does is for a reason. So that's why Bilam saw our vulnerability there, and that's where he wanted to be able to get us. Skip to Bez, Oz Bez. That was the first point I wanted to bring to you from the Slonim Rebbe, is that, is that the antidote to news, the antidote to horrific news that we hear about a beloved friend, a family member, the antidote to the own hardship and challenges within our own life is not to lose faith, but is to gain faith. Is not to walk away, but to walk closer. Is not to give up, but is to lean in. 
is to realize that only with a only with a belief that everything is for you know somebody said to me we got this horrible news about our friend or you can imagine this was a theme that was pervasive as we walked throughout the giant cemetery known as Poland that this was a theme that was pervasive where is Hashem how do you have faith where do you turn to in these moments how can one go on and I have to tell you going on this trip with a busload of most of whom were children of survivors who were grappling and struggling and trying to make sense of their own parents suffering was, was unbelievably powerful was unbelievably powerful. And one of the things I said to people is, let me ask you, is the alternative any better? So you don't believe in God. So you say God could never cause such pain. God would never allow such a thing to happen. And what's the alternative there for? It's just the evil of man? Or with illness, it's just randomness? It's just chance? It's just nature? That makes you feel better? That gives you more strength to be able to understand it or to get through it? The bottom line is, these are questions for which there are no answers. Since the beginning of time, these questions have been posed. Avram Avinu asked Hashem, why are you doing this to Sodom? Why would good people die? Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Rebbe Shalom, show me your face, let me understand your ways. Why do bad things happen to good people? And the Rebbe Shalom says, you can see the back of my head, you cannot see my face. Which our rabbis understand to mean that maybe sometimes, perhaps, after the fact, you'll understand everything will come into Everything will come into a clear picture, but you can't understand as it's happening in real time. My ways, you cannot understand. And anyone who claims to understand it, to explain why these things happen, is trying to be God, to play God, and that's an act of heresy. That's an act of heresy. So we can go down the path of trying to answer, Lama, why? Why do these things happen? And we will continue to walk down a path that has no answers. We cannot understand. And it happens to the best people, to the most amazing people, to the most special people to the people about whom you can't say one bad thing and about whom everybody in the world loves them. It's not a person who has a bad thing to say. Which just makes the question more compelling and more challenging and more unanswerable and more impossible. The best people. So you could go down the path of Lama, of why, and you'll struggle and you'll bang your head against the wall and you'll be frustrated and you'll never get an answer. Or, as has been often said by others, instead of asking Lama, you say, Lema, for what? What can this generate? How can this be the catalyst of change, of good? We can't understand it. We'll do everything we can to reverse it. But in the meantime, Lema, how will we be different? What will we do differently? What will we transform? In 24 hours of our having bad news about our dear friend, the amount of Tehillim that's been said, the amount of people who've signed up for projects of Lashon Hara, of the mitzvah of separating challah, of taking extra learning, of the Talmud Torah that's been dedicated in the community. We can, we can go down the path of Lama, of why, and never get to a destination, or we could ask Lama, and we can be the answer. We can provide the response, a response that Amir Tashem will transform the Gzeira of Hashem to be something which is only good. So, it could be Bilam HaRasha, it could be the Nazis, it could be a tumor, it could be bad news, but all of that tries to take. it tries to sever our connection to the Ribbono Shalom. An email that says that a beloved friend has a horrible uh, diagnosis is a curse, like Bilam HaRasha, getting an email like that, or news like that, or a phone call like that is a curse, like what Bilam gave us, like what the Nazis tried to do to us. And the common denominator of all is, that underlying it, it's trying to break us off from our leaning in on Ribbono Shalom when the opposite should be true. We have to lean even further. And we have to dedicate our moach and our lev, our head and our heart, through additional learning 
and through more sincere tefillah, because whatever the result, and of course we daven from the depths of our heart for the positive result, but through this journey and process, in this particular case, or anyone who's ill or struggling, being without Hashem won't make it easier. It'll just make it harder. But being with Hashem, like the Chustarav told Arzaidi, having that faith in someone to lean on, maintaining a sense of hope, gives you the possibility and the strength to be able to endure. But go to Ozbez, which is the second idea. What did Bilam see? He saw the Jewish people were dwelling according to their tribes. And when he saw us dwelling according to our tribes, so then the Spirit of Hashem rested on us. When does the power of Tuma come? When are we most vulnerable? When we're divided. When we're individuals. But when we are united, when we are connected as a people, it cannot reign. So when you see yourself as an individual, isolated and alone, when you break off, so now you're vulnerable. If you're part of a greater good, if we complement and supplement one another, if we combine our strengths, then we have the ability to endure. So Bilam saw the Jewish people were encamped according to their tribe. When we want Hashem to answer our tefillah, we have the greatest voice. We have the most compelling voice. It resonates the most with the Ribbono Shalom, not when we're private individuals arguing on our own, but when we combine our efforts, when we collaborate, when we become one, when we show achdus, when we are a Klal Yisrael, that's when we can exhibit the greatest strength. So it's beautiful to say Tehillim in your kitchen and in your car. It's beautiful to say Tehillim on the road, in your office. It's beautiful to say Tehillim and to do learning privately and individually. But when we connect, when we collaborate, when we combine, when we gather, and where are the gathering places? The Bate Knesios and the Bate Midrashos. Where do we gather? When we, when we raise our voice collectively in harmony, in shul and in learning. We daven together, we learn together. We're not separate, we're not disparate, we're not apart. We're all part of one Klal Yisrael. We're all part of one Klal Yisrael. And we say and we protest to the Yibona Shalom. You know, you, you hurt your left arm, your right arm doesn't say, I'm good. Let the left arm fend for itself. Good luck, left arm. Left arm, you should go to the doctor. I'm just fine. The left arm hurts. The right arm screams, ouch. And the right arm takes care of the left arm until the left arm heals and the right arm feels pain until the left arm is good. So when we are Klal Yisrael, when we are all parts of limbs and organs of the same one entity, of the same body, when one of our limbs hurts and we all scream, ouch, and we all protest, it's not that I'm good because I'm okay. I don't have a diagnosis. I'm not good till every one of my limbs and organs is good. When we all cry out in protest, when we storm the gates of Shemaim together as a Klal Yisrael, not as individuals, that's when we have the greatest strength. That's when we have the greatest power. That's what Bilam was trying to destroy. The Harchiv is Ha'olam. Shal Klal Yisrael. 
the Iraq Yechidim. Bilam was trying to divide Jewish people so we wouldn't be one entity, but we would be individuals. When we are vulnerable to the curses, when we are individuals. So he specifically sought to curse the shuls and the Batei Medrash of the Jewish people. Because if we're divided and isolated and alone, that's when we're vulnerable to the power of a curse. And that's what Hashem reversed. Hashem left this blessing perpetually. It was timeless that we would continue to have access to these places that bring us and draw us together. That we can There's a lot more to say this beautiful essay. But the strength that we can gain when we hear bad news, when we encounter our own struggles and our own suffering, when we're looking for how we can maintain faith in a world that is begging us to have doubt and uncertainty, when there's news that comes to us that is as toxic as a curse from Bilam HaRasha, the way to maintain faith is also to lean on our predecessors and ancestors who showed faith in even worse circumstances. If they could put one foot in front of the other, if they could lean in, if they could rely on the Ribbon Shalom, if they could achieve dvekas in the darkest places, then we too can. It's a test. It's a test. These are all tests to... to test to, to physical well-being. It's a test to faith. And part of the test is, will we fall apart in terms of our amuna and bitachon? And this is why you work out the amuna and bitachon muscles. So when they're needed, they're healthy and they're strong and they are there. We can go down the path of lama, we'll never have an answer. But if we say lama, okay, horrific news. I shed my tears, and now what? What's my responsibility? What do I do? How do I storm Shemayim? What difference can we make? How do we never give up hope? And how can we bring a better result for our dear friend, Rabbi Baruch Tzvi ben Rivka Basia, for all those who are ill or struggling or in need of Yeshua's, or in need of Hashem's uh, intervention. And Amir Tashem, we should only have Besoros Tovos, we should have share good news and good tidings and simcha through the schos, through the merit of purifying our moach and our lave, our head and our heart. Amen.